Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, and also from me, welcome. It's great to be here again. Again, Happy New Year. I don't know what, when do we stop saying it. I'll say it again. It's only the 7th. Good to be here. Um, yes, yeah, so here we are in 2024, and we're starting a new series, and it's called Spiritual Practices for a Digital Age. So it feels very practical to me. And um, so what I want to do is I would hope today, it's sort of the beginning of a four-part series, and I hope today's beginning feels very practical, maybe part like a seminar uh, to sort of fill your, fill your mind, part story to inspire you. So I have a few different elements coming up, and I hope it really uh, intrigues you. Because as we, as we start, like Lindsay said, people often talk about New Year's resolutions. So what, what would it look like to ask about spiritual practices? What parts of your life could, could grow more in, in line with how, how God is and how you could interact with God, particularly in a digital age where we're surrounded by influences and marketing and all these tools. So I would say uh, for most of, most of my Christian life, uh, up to the last three or five years, that um, my exposure to this faith has been mostly through information. So what I mean is that it's, it's, it's that what I know, and maybe through, through reading and knowledge, is sort of seen as the most important. So that perhaps if I, I know the right things, I'll be able to follow God. And so the main emphasis here is on the mind. And so this is a very common way for spirituality and probably all things in sort of the Western philosophical framework. There's one writer, his name is James K.A. Smith, and he described this point and he says that in our, in our world, in this worldview, humans are often almost, you could boil us down to brains on a stick, Sort of a crude, simplistic way to say, well, if, if, it's, if we're only about the mind, maybe we're just a brain on a stick. But what if, it, it, does it suggest then that we're devoid of a body that feels things that as our body interacts with the world and participates in the world, that this is part of our spirituality. This is part of our, our whole life. So it's a holistic view. So I would say in the last three to five years, my understanding of becoming aware of God's presence through practices, daily, weekly, monthly practices, has been sort of growing. Things that involve my, my whole body. So I'm, in, I'm very intrigued as I've been learning this that what if in my spiritual walk and in my, in my humanity, it's very important what I do first thing when I wake up in the morning or through the midday as I'm working and facing stress and worry or, or at night before I go to bed and lay down to rest. What am I doing with my, my whole self that participates in my, my spiritual walk? So in, in this vein, we talk about spiritual practices. So that's what we'll be looking at. And we talk, as we do spiritual practices, we then talk about spiritual formation. And so we ask, maybe what we do is just as important with what we believe. And in fact, maybe they really work together to be a whole package. Because it's important to ask in this life, however we, because we all have spiritual practices, but we don't often name them that. But in what we, how we live and what we practice, how are we being formed? Into what image are we being formed? So in this series, you'll, you'll hear us talk about a rule of life. It's a term used in, in sort of classic Christianity for a couple thousand years. 
And I don't mean rules for life. There's many sources that might tell you, here's the rules for life. No, when I say rule for life, it actually comes from a Latin word, regule. And the word actually means trellis, something like a trellis. So if you were to to be a a grape grower, I don't know, maybe some of you grow grapes or other viney plants in your garden, you might know that a trellis is super important for a plant like a grape because you need to keep that plant up off the ground so it can get light, so it can get air, so it can get away from the pests and the rot on the ground. Without a trellis, a a grape uh, or other vine plant does not flourish. And so that's what uh, spiritual practices are, is a way to hold up our life to, to the light of good habits, to, to God's love, to all these things so humans can flourish. Humans can flourish in the way, all the ways that God has designed us to flourish. Okay, so lots, lots of terms coming at you here. So as we talk about spiritual formation, spiritual practice, it's all about our attention. We're, we're unique as humans in that we can really focus our attention. And um, so when we, when we focus the attention of our, our mind and our body and our spirit, those are spiritual practices. And so in, in a digital age, and it's been like this for decades, but increasingly now, our attention is a super valuable commodity. Companies spend billions and billions of dollars for your attention and your children's attention. And so in this digital age, it's, it's important then to, to say, well, what's our attention focused on? And how is that what we're paying attention to? How is it forming us? 2007 was a, a very significant year in this topic of the digital age and our attention. Does anyone know what product came out and changed the world in 2007? I'm reaching for it right now. The iPhone. So there we go, Steve Jobs and the first iPhone in 2007. So never before has there been a device so powerful with with so much power to to hold and even manipulate our attention. Way more powerful than any computer that took the first rockets to the moon. It's in our pockets and it's in our children's hands as well. In 2020, when we were all sort of trapped at home watching way too much television, some of you may have seen the Netflix show called The Social Dilemma. Did anyone see this? Yeah, yeah. I saw part of it. I think I should go back and watch it again. But what I remember is that on this documentary, the, the, they feature creators of these devices and creators of social media, the, like the guy who gave us the Facebook like button. He's on that series. And it's so interesting as they talk about what goes on behind all this stuff of the digital age and how they talk about, well, they, they actually don't let their children near this stuff. It's actually sort of, uh, it's sobering. But don't get me wrong, as we're talking here, I'm not up here to say like, hey, let's, let's all run and hide, let's, let's burn the phones and run away. That's not what we're saying. Because there's, there's so many perks to the digital age. There, there's connectivity to people and information. People get motivated for, for social movements, social change. You see that in all the, all the social movements of our world. Social media has been so important. People can create and share content. Even my own daughter is not here today. She probably wouldn't want me to say, but she was a, became a YouTube creator when she was about 10 or 11, and that was a phase for her. And so kids can explore and create like never before. And even, even spiritually, uh, people find out about what they want to find out about, including in Jesus and reading the Bible. So you may have heard of the Bible app. There's several of them. And so I've talked to people from, from faraway places like Afghanistan, where it's a Muslim country, 
People have come to know about Jesus through Bible apps and online. It's amazing, this age we live in. But of course, as we're talking about, there's also pitfalls to the digital age. So on, the, on that show, Social Dilemma, what they really point out to is, is because of these devices and this media, companies are given unregulated access to who we are and especially to our data. And so what they've discovered, they have psychologists working overtime with them, that it's our, our engagement is peaked mostly when they show us what peaks our fear and our anxiety. So, so sort of the one-two punch of the digital age and all this media is that if they can show us something that causes us to compare, to feel controversy, to feel fear, that sort of makes us malleable to influence. So that's step one. And then step two is like, hey, here's a product or here's a service that will give you peace, that will meet your human need. So that is what we're going through. And so instead of this media and these devices being a tool for us, it's becoming clear, and people are saying this, that what, if, what if we're the tool? What if we're the commodity being influenced? So on this same show, uh, Social Dilemma, on their, one of their uh, cover pictures, they, they say this, the, tech, the technology that connects us also controls us. So what influences are we under? So again, that can sound like a lot of bad news, and that's not what we're here to focus on. But again, all these things that sort of catch us up to what we're, what we're talking about. So what if uh, God who made the universe gave us skills and habits that could help us with wisdom to how to navigate a digital age? And what if the, the, the timeless words and practices of Jesus would actually shape our identity? Just like the world is trying to shape our identity and, and make us a commodity, what if the great God of the universe wants to shape our identity into who we really are and the purposes that this God would have for us? So that's why we talk about spiritual practices, so we can live in this world but not be defined by the world. You might recognize that. That's a line from the Bible. So in, in the year 2020, again, we're all trapped at home and thinking about all this stuff. I began to learn from a lot from a pastor and author named John Mark Comer. He wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Have people seen this book or, or heard of it? I know some of you have. Actually, it was sort of about February 3rd or 4th, 2020. He came to, he came to town with this book launch. And I went to this conference downtown. It was kind of sparse and you're thinking, oh, this, this thing happening, but I guess let's all go to the conference. And so it was so funny that you know, the world was going about to be invited to literally ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Uh, I went on to read the book. I went on to listen to a lot of his podcasts. So he, another podcast he did is called uh, This Cultural Moment, where him and another pastor and other spiritual leaders are sort of picking apart, well, what's actually going on? How did we get here? And what does that mean for our spirituality? Uh, Bridgetown Church that John Mark Comer was the leader of. I listened to a lot of that stuff. And so what I, what I really gleaned and what I began to practice is their invitation to rediscover some of the ancient practices that, that Christians have always uh, done over these 2,000 years that are open for all to try and see if there is life when people practice these things. So I love what they call, John Mark Comer and those who go to his church, 
uh, instead of the word discipleship, kind of a Christian-y word that you may have heard, I like the way they rephrase it and they call it apprenticeship. They say, what if there's a way, just like if you're a mechanic or an electrician, what if there's a way to apprentice to the, to the ways of Jesus? And so they talk about three things that these practices lead us to. If we can practice, we can be with Jesus. Simply to be with this, this being who is with us. And by doing so, we'll, we'll become like Jesus. So we, we really, we become what we pay attention to. And then our doing comes out of that. So we can even do what Jesus did. Not because we're following rules, but because the ways of this Jesus get into us and we just live out um, these ways. So again, it's, a, it's their focus and it's a focus I've began to live by. So they've put together actually a, a video series, much like the Alpha series you heard us talk about. This series is called Practicing the Way. And it's, I'm actually going to show you their little their series trailer because I, I really want to advocate it. You might use it personally or if you're in a life group or home group, you might want to use it as a group and try one of their modules this year. So go ahead and play that. I'm just going to let it play. The philosopher Dallas Willard once said, the greatest need facing the world today is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples or apprentices of Jesus. And he said, what we need for this to happen is a curriculum for Christ-likeness. At Practicing the Way, we've spent years working with churches to create an ecosystem of resources that work together to make a curriculum for Christlikeness, a pathway for spiritual formation. Our resources work in church communities of all shapes and sizes, from megachurches to house churches, to midweek classes and small groups, to a few friends around a table. The best place to start is the Practicing the Way course. This is our core resource. It's essentially a primer on spiritual formation. Over eight sessions, we cover what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, spiritual formation, the practices of Jesus, and more. The entire course is practice-based and designed to be done in community. And it walks you step-by-step into crafting your own rule of life for the modern era. Our intention is that the course would lay the foundation for a life of apprenticeship to Jesus in the modern world. And the course is the best on-ramp into our ecosystem of resources. From there, we offer nine practices, ancient Christian disciplines like Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude, and more. The practices are four weeks long and include teaching, conversation, and weekly spiritual exercises, all designed to integrate the practice into your ongoing life. Together, the course and the practices form a rule of life for the modern era, a way of living that is conducive to deep transformation. We also have books, podcasts, and digital tools for those who want to go further. And all of this is available for free, thanks to the generosity of The Circle and friends from all over the world. Our dream is to see formation integrated into the church at large and to see people be with Jesus, become like him, and do as he did. Yeah, so I've enjoyed some of it. I've enjoyed, really enjoyed their podcast for the course. So at this point, I'd like to invite Chris Lee to come up and share a bit of his journey. Um, I'll need that microphone. So let me grab that microphone. Uh, welcome. 
Good morning, everyone. You know, I'm, um, I'm honored to share today. Uh, also somewhat hesitant, though, because I'm not, I'm not an expert with spiritual practices. I'm really just a fellow traveler on this road of life. I have some lived experience that I'm thankful to share. But please know that I'm continually learning. This is not expertise. This is just something that I've lived through. You know, like many of you, I wear many hats. I'm a husband. My lovely wife, Jill, is here. I have three children downstairs. They're aged 10, 8, and 8. And I'm an emergency physician. So I'm busy, probably too busy, if I think back a few years. And um, I think a, a better word is probably too distracted. Not just busy. I think our, our world idolizes busyness. But distraction is a different thing. And uh, as a culture, I think we have a problem. You know, in our modern culture, as, as Mike was talking about, you know, we, our, our rapidly changing technology allows us to have increasingly short, kind of self-centered, nasal, no, sorry, navel-gazing attention spans, and we're always looking ahead, always um, looking for the next thing, never present, really, in the moments that we're in. And we're just happy to be continually distracted by things in life. And if we're not careful, this type of attention, this posture in life can lead to a very shallow uh, way of living, out of touch of the deeper reality and the deeper questions and concerns that nag us when we actually pause to think about what's going on in our lives. God has a remedy, though, I think, and that is to bring us back into a rhythm that allows us to entertain the deeper realities of life and bring us back into a rhythm that he has designed for our flourishing. So I felt brewing discontentment with my level of distraction about more than 10 years ago while I was in residency. And so as Mike was, think, was talking, I was, yeah, actually that coincides with when the smartphone came out. And at that time, I was a new father. I was very busy at the hospital, a lot of clinical duties, uh, very busy with studies. And um, I was always, I, I felt I was working and living very quickly, trying to accomplish, trying to succeed, trying to do more, be more, and never really present in the moments of my life. And to be honest, I was missing things probably, and that brewing kind of discontentment continued and took a pace. If you fast forward to about five years ago, I had moved out here to Vancouver, brought my family along, and I was a new staff physician, very heavy clinical schedule, increasing leadership roles, now three young children, very busy, going here and there, trying to do everything that I can to get ahead, to accrue more privilege and success and all these things. This isn't bad per se, but if it distracts from a deeper inner reality, it can be unhealthy. And it was for me. At that point, five years ago, the, the, the stress and all that um, culminated in every few months, I would, get, I would break out in painful oral ulcers. 
not only my mouth, but down into my larynx. And it was very painful to eat, to speak, and they would last for weeks. And it was a pattern like that. Every few months, it would just come out. And so that's suffering, but at the same time, you know, it pales in comparison to the suffering that I see in the emergency department every day. But it, it points to an unhealthiness. And it took that level of um, physical manifestation to get my attention and to say, hey, Chris, you know, your life, the way that you're posturing it is not healthy. And in that brewing discontentment, that, you know, the experienced physical limits that I was just speaking without, I, I believe God was really calling me, calling me back to shore. He was like a, a lighthouse pointing me in a direction back to where I could find a better rhythm. I felt like I was swimming in this sea of my own mortality, of uh, media, and of different idols that we make of our lives, and lost the direction of where is my life headed. And he was calling me back to shore to be just with him. Not to be somebody or to do something for him, but just to be with Jesus. And so, along with that, he was continuing to teach me about a different rhythm, a different way of life, so that I could live in a better way, his created rhythm, so that I might flourish. So how is he helping me to do this, or how was he helping me to do this? Uh, Some of the resources that Mike was talking about in terms of rule of life and core spiritual practices, I've experienced through two books as well, John Mark Comer's book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and also our own senior pastor, Ken Shigematsu, his book, God in My Everything. These are great resources to help design what is the spiritual practices that would be good for your life. Your life is going to be with different challenges than mine, but we all can benefit from a pattern rhythm that is closer to what I believe, as we see you in Jesus' life, something that will allow us to flourish. So quickly, I just want to share with you um, two practices that have been very nourishing for me. The first is a, a kind of combination between slowing and solitude and prayer. So as an emergency physician, my schedule is all over the place. 7 a.m. doesn't look like 7 a.m. every day. I could be sleeping. I could be at work. I could be um, going into work. So a regular prayer life, I thought I would never be able to attain that. But as I was thinking about it and praying about it, I realized that because of the irregularity of my schedule, I had to schedule regularity back into it. So for me, after a lot of trial and error, my practice is that when I wake up in the day, no matter when that is, is that 4 a.m., is that 4 p.m., whenever I wake up, before I attend to anything, before I look at my phone, before I answer emails, before I do anything that pushes me into the day, I take that time to pray. Now, is it a long prayer? No. It's just a time set aside for contemplative prayer. And I actually use an app called Pray As You Go. 
is an app that leads you through a contemplative prayer just to allow you to center you into a rhythm and a way of life that is different than the world. Along with that, I just wanted to say that, you know, this probably dates me as an older millennial, but my, uh, my vice on my phone is emails. So I will always be checking emails, or I used to always check emails, move projects forward, answer things, get things going. And I realized I would just get sucked into my phone with my emails. So very practically, what I've done after a lot of trial and error, I only check my emails at 9.30 and at 1.30, only twice a day, which is a very big change for me. And I do that along with taking all the notifications off my phone of a new email coming in, and I move my email app to the back page of my phone, so when I look at my phone, I'm not distracted by it. So these are very practical things that I do, and it's really allowed me to slow and allowed me to not uh, interface or engage with my phone as much as I used to. and allows me to attend to things and to be present in life. These aren't things to do because the phone is bad, but it, I believe being present in life is better. The last thing I wanted to share is something called Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is a very Christian-sounding word, and it's a 24-hour period, intentional 24-hour period, where we stop, we rest, we delight and enjoy the blessings that God has given to us, and through that, we worship him. Now, this is something that I've brought into our family rhythm, or we try to bring into our family rhythm, but it's very hard. A whole day where you're not pursuing something else, doing something to move things forward, not working, that is very, very hard to do. But after a lot of trial and error, I have found this to be rejuvenating. To truly rest, to stop. It's not just a day off, but it's a day where it's different. To stop the incessant noise that surrounds us, to take our phones away, to not look at the phone for 24 hours if it's possible, and to really give yourself and give myself the permission to enjoy, to be present, to enjoy the time with my children, to have a good meal, to do things that you enjoy, and through that, to worship God. This has been so uh, refreshing for me, but you know, to make these challenges, sorry, to, to make these changes has been very difficult. It's been scary, to be honest. When I felt that I needed to make that change, everyone else around me was living as fast as they could, and they still are. So to change how I live and to change the focus was scary. And if I was honest with myself, my self-worth was tied up in that rat race. But I think that the Lord, and I know that the Lord, that Jesus himself, is gracious, he's faithful, and that if we're willing to make some small changes in our lives, to be patterned and have a rhythm of life that is more in tune with him and the deeper reality of it, he is faithful to meet us and bring us along. So that's my story. There's more to it, obviously. But uh, I continue to struggle. But I encourage you, and I hope that 
some of the practical things and examples that I have put into my life might be encouraging for you. I do believe that in the chaos of this modern world, that a life patterned with prayer, solitude, Sabbath, fasting will bring flourishing. Thanks. Thank you so much, Chris. My technology has fallen off my head here. Yeah, thank you for that very practical look at, uh, I think your life's probably quite a bit busier than most of ours, and so if you can practice these spiritual rhythms, it gives me great hope that I can and that we can. Um, so we're just going to finish up with a couple things here. This. You can look under your seats. Every second seat or so, I thought that hopefully is enough. So in your row... Maybe you can grab a work. There's two things. There's this thing called the rule of life worksheet. You're going to cooperate to make sure at least your family has one or maybe even each individual has one. So again, my hope is to be very practical today. So this rule of life worksheet, I want to hand it out today and I'm actually going to hand it out four weeks from now. So you can look at and take another stab at it. So this sheet today, what I hope, sometimes when you get these, you're like, oh, you should put all these aspirational things. And actually, for this first sheet today, put what you really do. Don't put like, oh, okay, I'm going to work a 24-hour Sabbath in starting tomorrow. Put, uh, for any of these practices, including technology, write down what you actually do. Uh, daily, weekly, monthly, annually. And that, that could be kind of a good wake up to like, oh, this is actually the habits I didn't think were a habit that are, are forming me, which I didn't think were forming me. So that's just a, a sort of a, a little gift as you start your new year. Um, and then the, the last thing I'm going to look at is on this bookmark. I want to um, anchor us in one habit, and it's prayer. And so we're going to look at a scripture, very short one, where the followers of Jesus came to him and say, teach us how to pray. And so on this bookmark, you've got the Lord's Prayer. And through the history of the church, Christians would use this probably three times a day, morning, noon, and night. So I've started trying to do this every morning. So I'll often do it with my daughter, Treya, as we're driving to school, I've taught her, so we... She'll remind me, like, oh, we didn't pray. Okay, we pray. Uh, or uh, especially like to do it if I'm out for a walk or a run. And so let me read the scripture. And then, if you will, just a few minutes. I just want to sort of guide you through how I use it and how the Lord blesses each sort of line. It becomes sort of a, uh, you could have a whole year's worth of, of content here. So I'm just going to give you a few minutes of what it means to me. So here's what it says. It says this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, when you pray, pray like this. So here's how it goes for me. Our Father in heaven, So I know when I think of the world, I'm so blessed to, when I say that line, you know, whatever fatherhood is meant for me as a dad or or my own dad, 
I think we've all got these sort of, we've got a need for a heavenly father. And so I, I just rehearsed that line. My, you know, whatever I'm approaching in this life, our father in heaven. I remember, we have a father. And he's in this space that the Bible calls heaven. So there, there's a God's space and there's our space. And so we acknowledge that there, there is this heavenly spiritual realm. And in there, it's not that far off. But there we have a God who is Father. So reassuring. Holy is your name. So in a world where there's so much that's unholy, unsacred, defiled, we have a God whose name is holy, set apart, special. And he calls us by that name. Holy is your name. Then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So if there's a kingdom, there's a king. So this God in, in heaven is, is a king. And just like any king, like the kings of the earth, they have a limited kingdom. This God has the heavenly kingdom. And a will, uh, out of that kingdom, he has a will. He has a will for us individually. He has a will for us corporately. A good and gracious will for how to live in this very complicated human life, in this complicated world. So we invite, Lord, your will be done. Though I see so many other things happening. That's reassuring to me. And then it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's a nod to say that God's space, heaven, isn't meant to be some far-flung place that somehow we climb to. But in fact, God's space, heaven, is meant to come and, and reunite with earth. And so as his will is done, everywhere, like we're doing this morning, and as you go about your, your way this week, everywhere you're doing and participating in God's will, heaven is meeting earth. That's the good news. That's why we celebrate and remind ourselves. And then it says this, Give us today our daily bread. Uh, I love that. So whatever kind of bread you like, rice, bread, porridge, bread. We all eat it. We all need it. And we need it daily. So we need to save up probably for the future and think of the future. We also need to be grounded. Like, Lord, what do I need today that feeds my life or that feeds those around me? Daily bread. So that anchors me when I, my mind is tempted to worry about all the other bread I'm not getting or could get if I invest here or do that. Daily bread. And this is, a, this is then a tricky one. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Oh, that is tough. So I was talking about uh, sin and forgiveness with someone a couple weeks ago. And this idea of sin, that sounds kind of ominous, it's, it's in a way, it's like inwardness. Uh, writers have said this, like the sin uh, that we experience, it's like all the arrows point in. So what I do with relationships, uh, I suck in. What do I do with opportunities and resources of the world? I take it in. So I, I go through the world, I can, uh, in my sin, uh, like a black hole, just sort of sucking and drawing. And God says, ask me to forgive you, to release you from that way of living so that we become this open person that says, oh, my, my relationships are for sharing. My resources are, are for sharing. The way I live in this world goes outward. Forgive us our, our sins so we can live like that. And then when we do that, I think only then we have a chance to forgive others who've sinned against us. That's a hard one. And 
So look around the room. Our, our, we're full of stories where people have hurt us, wronged us. And so when God offers that in prayer, he doesn't say, well, what they did was okay, so, so just brush it over. That's not what this means. It actually means to, to release yourself from trying to be God who judges. Forgive those who've sinned against us. It means, Lord, that was wrong. I give that to you to deal with. I ask your release from, from, from needing to cling to that and hold to the anger that I would need to hold over someone. So as the prayer finishes, it says, lead us not into temptation. Does the Lord tempt us? No, the Lord is not a tempter, but the Lord does test us. One, one uh, preacher, Daryl Johnson, translates it this way. Lord, as you lead us to the test, may we not fall into temptation. So that's what it's saying here. This world does test us. So may we not fall into the, the things that tempt us. We can pray about that. But deliver us from the evil one. So again, that reminder that this world is not neutral. There, there is an enemy. The enemy of God is working through many things, including our temptations, to lead us far away from who he is and even who we are. So Lord, deliver us from the evil forces, from the evil one. So I commend this prayer to you that you could, you could use it every day, just like those have done through the history of the church. This could be one of the anchors that you could start your year with, your day with, the Lord's prayer. Because as we, as we do this, as we let our lives be shaped by God's practices, where the digital age is trying to redefine our humanity and make us a tool, Jesus is trying to equip us for the digital age so that we can instead be shaped by his image, by his glory, and even use the tools of our digital age to his glory for the sake of his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Because what this all does, where this all leads, is that we become reflections of God who made us. We are children who reflect his image. Because we have this God who, who wants to meet with us, to be with us, so that we can become like him. So again, through spiritual practices, we participate with our, our whole mind, our whole spirit, our whole body, so that we literally become like God. That sounds lofty, but that's actually the goal, becoming like our creator. So in 2024, what I hope is true for you and true for your children, true for your family, is the words of Jesus where he says, come to me and I will give you rest. So I pray deep rest for you. And he says, my peace I will give you. So I pray that you have deep peace, shalom, like whole life peace. So that you can discover what the psalmist says in Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, he cares about the desires of your heart. But he says, I, I'm actually the way there. I'll lead you there. And finally, John, one of the writers, the friends of Jesus, wrote this. He says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all people. So as we close in prayer, that is my prayer, that you, we would all hold on to God's life. So would you pray with me as we close? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning where we could hold up your name, hold up these practices as pathways to life. So I pray that for all these friends gathered here, that we would cling to your life, be defined by your life, and be renewed as we start a new year in a new way. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.